You are listening to sermon audio from Fort Myers Community Church. For more information about how to get involved in the life of this church family, please visit www.fmcc.life. Couple weeks, we would be married for 15 years. Yeah. Um, been uh, definitely some of the most humbling uh, and amazing moments of our lives. Um, so thanks, babe. Uh, so if, if you've been here, if you've been married over 30 years, would you raise your hand? Okay, wow, praise God. Man. How about, how about over 40 years? All right. All right, 40, keep your hands up, 45 years. All right, 46. 47, 48, 49, 50. We're, we're still going. 51, 51, 52, 53, 54, 55, 56. I didn't plan on this. 7, 8, 59. 60. Woo! So here's the deal. This was for a prize, and, and I, so how, how many years? 61 in May. 65? 60, so you're both 60. All right, so Logan has a book for each one of you. Um, this is the book I still do um, by Dave Harvey, um, and so it's a wonderful book uh, about marriage and, and still being married and what the next years of life looks like in marriage. So let's hear it for them. Man, what a testimony to the faithfulness of the Lord. Um, thank you all. Um, I know people don't like to be put on the spot at church, but um, thank you. Um, and then what about, is anybody getting engaged Anybody engaged or getting engaged? Raise your hand. Oh, I guess you don't want to say that. Anybody engaged? Anybody engaged? No one? Anybody just get married, like within the last year? All right, yeah. All right. So, Logan, right behind you, um, he's got a book for you guys. And then Logan and Cassie, you could keep a book too because it's awesome. Oh, you already have that book. All right, good, good. Um, man, so we're entering into this new series, Spirit-Led Relationships, uh, and Paul, right out of the gate, is going to talk about what it looks like to love one another and to submit to one another, and what it looks like to be in relationship with one another. And so if you are not married, I don't want you to tune out, so youth singles. Um, there's going to be something in here that the Lord wants to speak to you directly. Um, but today we get to go and tackle this idea of marriage. And so I just want to give us a little context of where we're coming in. We've been journeying through the book of Ephesians. And so we started in January of last year and we're just starting to wrap up. And some of you, if you're really astute, you would know that we've jumped back a little bit. So we were finishing up chapter six and now we're jumping back into spirit-led relationships because it's Valentine's Day and why not do that? And so here's the context and overview. Paul, who was a religious leader, he was a zealot. He went around 
and was persecuting the early church. His name was Saul. And he was persecuting those who, who professed faith in Jesus as their Lord and Savior and then has an encounter with God and becomes an on-fire missionary for the Lord, and then goes and starts spreading the good news of Jesus and who he is and what he has done to the world around him. And because he did that, he was beaten, and he was imprisoned, and I mean, all sorts of stuff happened to Paul. And so now Paul is under house arrest, and he is penning some words to a young church that he saw form in Ephesus. And here's chapter 1. It's, he's, Paul's writing to the children of God. So chapter 1, he's giving us the context of him writing to the church, the children of God. We see this in verse 4 of chapter 1 when he says, those that are chosen before the foundations of the world. Verse 5, he says predestined. Verse 5, he says adopted. A beautiful articulation of what it looks like for us to be adopted into the family of God. And those in verse 7 that have been redeemed. And then he, in verse chapter 2, he starts to remind them of some things. And so he says, don't forget, <clears throat> because it's easy to forget, but don't forget that you were once spiritually dead. At one point in your life, you were spiritually dead. Church, family, beloved, children, you were once spiritually dead. But God, in chapter 2, verse 4, you have been made alive through Jesus' life, through his death, and through his resurrection. And then he goes into 11 therefores. So since you have been made alive, at one point you were dead, now you are alive. This isn't about morality. He didn't say you were once bad and now you're good. He said you were once dead and now you're alive. Therefore, Here's some stuff to press into, to live into your life. The life that God has given you, here's some ways for you to take that life and then share it with the world around you. And so he says, therefore this, therefore this, therefore this. And then in chapter five, he's, he's summing up something now. Now that you have been given life, he says, walk in love. Why? It's actually out of a reverence for Christ. You love others because of how you have been loved. When you were broken, when you were dead, when you were lost, when you were helpless, when you were hopeless, Jesus showed you love by redeeming you, by adopting you. So therefore, walk in love. And he says, out of reverence for Christ, submit to one another, love and honor. So first off, I want to look at this reverence for Christ piece. So this is verse 21 in Ephesians chapter 5. And he says, giving thanks always, in verse 20, giving thanks always for everything to the God and Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. I often don't think that we as people understand and try to even wrap our minds around how big and how great and how awesome God is. I think often we try to put him in this box. And what we do is we start to define gods by words in our culture that are tainted. And so even when I say God is love, we also use love to talk about our spouses, our kids, and tacos. So we, we say things like, oh, I love, I love this ice cream. 
And so we begin to water down the word, and then we attribute that word to God. God is love, and we almost put it in the same boat as I love tacos. But we can't define love and then portray or take that love and then put it on God. But actually, it is God who defines love. He is the one who is all-knowing, all-powerful, and everywhere. And that's something that we can't even wrap our minds around. As humans, we can't grasp and understand how big and how powerful God is. He is fully present right here, right now, and also spans the universe and holds it in his hands. Like, we can't even wrap our minds around what that looks like. I mean, we even belittle him with, he's got the whole world in his, but it's bigger than that. It's bigger than that. He is bigger than that. And so out of reverence for Christ, God who created all things, who spoke you and me and all things into creation, he formed us. And it's out of reverence for how he has saved us, how he has loved us, how he has forgiven us, that then we, what? Submit to one another. Not because we deserve it, I can guarantee you that the person next to you does not deserve it. I can guarantee you, even though you think you do, you don't deserve it. But it's out of a reverence for what God has done for you. And so he uses this word in verse 21. It says, submit to one another. The vision that we have here at FMCC is, is from the Bible, and it talks about having a transformed life through the power of the Holy Spirit. And as our lives are transformed by the Spirit, then the relationships around us begin to be transformed. And as the relationship around us is transformed, then the community around us will transform by being a people who are God-glorifying, Jesus-centered, and Spirit-led. So what is submission? Well, it's not deserved. It's based off of what already has been done for you in Jesus. And I love what uh, Paul writes to the Philippians in chapter 2, verse 3. He says, in humility... Count others more significant than yourselves. Lift people up. Count them more significant than yourselves. Because that puts the awe of God on display. Jesus, in the book of John, says, Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. How we, church, love each other will prove. How, when we walk out these doors... Not just in here. This is just a building. We are the church. So when we walk out the doors, how we love one another will prove that we are his disciples. And then we talk about the spirit-led relationship of marriage that we see here in verses 23 through 33. If you're single here this morning, some of you, and I know this because I've talked to you about this, you deeply desire to be married. And there are some that are single here today that don't desire to be married. And Paul actually speaks of singleness in 1 Corinthians 7. And he says, whether you desire or don't desire, he says, live on mission. He says, keep your eyes fixed and focused on who God is and what he's done for you and go share that with the world. He actually says, you're, you're not distracted. <laughs> he's like, so go and live on mission. And to those that are single, he says, 
Concern yourself about the things of the Lord in 1 Corinthians 7, 32 and 34. So my encouragement to you, don't lose heart. I love what uh, Marshall Siegel, a staff writer at Desiring God says. He says, every wedding day in this age is a pointer to a wedding day to come when we are given forever, forever to our Savior and our King. Don't ever think if you are single that you're being left out. God may have a bigger purpose for you. He wants you to live on mission right now and continue to pray earnestly that the Lord, if you desire it, would bring you someone that can live on that mission with you. Now, youth, you're probably not thinking about marriage right now, right? Right, and here's the deal. This is what all I have to say to you. Um, I wish that I paid more attention to this kind of stuff when I was your age. I do. I wish I did. Because my wife and I, because of me, had to walk through some bumpy roads in the beginning parts of our marriage because I didn't listen to stuff like this. So all I would say is that the Lord has something to teach you today. So just listen. Take it in. You know, sometimes, like, we hear the word of the Lord and it doesn't necessarily sink in, but God's word never returns void. So listen. Pay attention. Take some notes. And you could say girls are icky or boys are gross, like all that later. Um, but, but listen to this stuff, because this is God's word, and he wants you to hear it. And now, the last thing I want to do is I want to put some bumpers in place. Um, the Bible has one view of biblical marriage. Biblical marriage is between a biological man and a biological female. Before God, there is no other options. But for some, even just saying that may not remove or change desires or feelings that you have outside of God's ordained plan. The fulfillment of those desires and those feelings outside of biblical marriage is sin. If you struggle in these unbiblical feelings and desires, we as a church would love nothing more than to walk with you and talk with you and hang out with you and look at the word of God together and disciple one another so that we see God's ordained plan for our lives. Biblical marriage is between a man and a female. And biblical marriage, just in case we don't know this, um, does not support polygamy. And I know in our culture that's not necessarily something we see often, um, but I do want to say that we see that throughout Scripture. We see that there are these men who take multiple wives, and here's what I want to say to that. Every single one, every case of multiple wives that we see in Scripture reveals or results to some sort of disaster. I don't think I have to say anything else. You look for yourself. Like, it may not be that generation, but it's coming. So when we see it, it doesn't mean, oh, then we should go do it because it says it. No, actually it shows and reveals the sinful heart of man and the disaster that's pending to come. So it does not support polygamy. Marriage is more than human romance, and it's more than close friendship. Marriage is a visible display that represents the relationship between Christ and his bride. It's, it's two sinners 
Now, it's not this 50-50 business that we like, you know, try to say, well, it's 50% and 50%, they come together 100%. No, no, no. It is 100% and 100%. You both bring the fullness of your sin into marriage. That's double sin. And we wonder sometimes why it's so difficult to be married. Like, you got double sin going on. But the Bible's so clear that it says the two shall become one flesh. And so... Um, my wife and I, uh, this really played out um, in our lives in the toilet paper crisis of 2020. <laughs> Do you guys remember that? Um, yeah, it was a long time ago. You may not remember it. Um, my wife was going to the store, and I had said, hey, you know, if you're there and there's toilet paper, you might want to grab a, you know, a, it's not a roll, it's a, a package, right? And she was like, well, you know, we already have some. I'm like, yeah, but, you know, we don't know how long this is going to last, and I don't want to use leaves and stuff. So just, you know, go, just grab. I mean, everybody's freaking out about it, so it's probably a big deal. And so she went, and, and uh, as she was going, she had texted one of our neighbors, hey, you know, do you guys need anything? And they're like, oh, if, if you can, um, get us some toilet paper. We don't have any. Uh, we're down to our last roll. And so she gets up, and there's a line now, and there's one per cart, right? And they're putting it in. She gets up, and it, I think it was the last one on the shelf. And so they take it, and they put it in her cart. And then she's judged by everybody in the store, right? And so she, uh, like, walks out with her toilet paper and, and gets home <clears throat> and then proceeds to give our neighbors the entire thing of toilet paper. I don't know, like 24 rolls of toilet paper. And I freak out because I'm like, what are you doing? And she's like, we have toilet paper. They don't have toilet paper. I'm like, give them one of the little packs inside. Like, give them six rolls, not the whole thing. She's like, we don't need it. I'm like, but we will. Like, do you not see what's going on in the news? Right? And so what is that? I know it's a silly example, but that's our sin, just waging war inside of us. That's her goodness, right, being generous, and me and my selfishness just put on display. Um, but that's right. We have these things in marriage where um, we ju it just causes dissension, causes fights, causes turmoil. Because we're bringing all of our brokenness and sin. And actually, I would say that even coming into this morning, I was feeling super vulnerable because I don't believe that I've got this down. Like I'm sitting here going, how can I teach this when I mess this up so often? Like even some of the stuff I'm going to challenge us with later, I'm going, I don't do a great job of this. Because I'm a sinner. And it is only by grace that God will continue to transform my heart and my mind to be the man that God desires me to be for my wife and for my family. And there's a foundation that Paul lays here. In verse 31, he goes all the way back to Genesis 2.24. It says, The man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, men, women, when you get married, you are leaving your father and mother. Some of you, your parents are way too involved in your marriage. I'm not saying you don't go to your parents for wisdom and discernment and help, but you have to understand that marriage is between a man and a woman. A man and woman, we leave our father and mother and we hold fast to our wife. And the two shall become one flesh. No longer are we two separate beings, but the Lord in his sovereignty unites us through the power of his Holy Spirit. And then in verse 33, it says, so let each of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects 
her husband. And that word respects there is key because it's going to come back up earlier on. So let's talk about the husbands first. Husbands, you ready? You guys are like, why did we come to church today? <laughs> hey, let, no elbow nudging. For, if I could see you from up here pretty clearly, all right? Listen, this is a safe place. We all mess up at this, all right? So we could just admit that. But husbands, God has some very specific stuff for us. So let's look at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives. He uses a word very specific there, love. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. It's not necessarily in man's nature to love. It actually is probably more in our nature to respect and honor. I mean, it's kind of hardwired into us. I remember the first hockey game that Lauren and I went to um, together, and, and we had such a great time. We ended up sitting in a box, you know, so you're overlooking the whole rink, and um, these two guys were going at it the whole game. I mean, they were giving each other cheap shots, and, and it was about the third period, and all of a sudden, they just threw down. Right, so they come to the center of the ring, they throw their gloves down, and they like put a spotlight in the center, and like the lights dimmed in the whole place. Like, this is why you go to a hockey game. And so they, I mean, proceeded, I mean, grabbed each other, and it's like, right, and they just went at it. I mean, it was epic. And they fall to the ice, and the, the refs come in, and they pull them apart, and they start skating towards the penalty boxes. And as they're skating towards the penalty boxes, they started to skate towards one another. And I'm thinking, it's back on. Come on, let's go. And one of them pats the other one on the butt. And the other guy pats him on the helmet. And they went into their preceding penalty boxes. And I'm like, yeah! I am just pumped. And she's like, what? She could not wrap her mind around the fact that they just fist fought and now they're like patting each other like, hey, good job. And I'm like, they're probably gonna go get beers at the end of the game together, right? They fought it out. They had a problem. They found a solution and now it's over. For men, we get riled by that because it's respect, right? They, they earned respect from one another and that makes no sense to how God is wired. But God doesn't say men Respect your wife. He says, love. A very specific word. It encompasses respect. That's where we go back to verse 22 where it says, submit to one another. But he specifically says to you, man, to love. That word, agapeo, that's used there. Speaking about God's love for us. An unconditional, self-sacrificing love that is always defined by the eternal being, God, who has given his life up for us. So he says, submit, uh, husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Men, are you laying down your life every day, every hour, every minute to love your wife? self-sacrificing. It is servant leadership. It is protection. It is provision. Yet, we are pretty selfish beings. I did not want to give you an analogy here or ask my wife to help me come up with an analogy here because I knew the list would be too long, 
right? My, my wife is really great at not keeping a record of wrongs, but I did not want to open up that door. It is an active, intentional self-sacrifice, man. Teens, youth, do you treat the women around you, your sisters, your moms, with love and respect? Do you sacrifice yourself for the women that God has placed in your life? Women are not objects. They are daughters of the king, princesses, and are to be treated as such. Men, we must not be the stereotype, couch potato, disengaged, lazy lump. Do we love her the way she desires to be loved? Do you celebrate your wife? I know this may be heavy for some of you because you think, well, yeah, I think I do. Would she say you celebrate her? Do you hold her? I know physical touch for some is not easy. Maybe you didn't grow up like that. But God specifically says love, and that's part of it. In fact, in verse 29, it says, do you nourish her and cherish her? Do you listen to her? Do you date her, men? Are you gentle with her? Colossians 3.19 is a, is a mirror of this passage, but Paul goes actually a little further. He says, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. We must, church, if we are going to represent the gospel to every man, woman, and child that is around us, we need to strive to be men who lead and love our wife and family spiritually, biblically, emotionally, and physically. In verse 26, we see that it says, He, the husband, cleanses her by the washing of water with the word. I'm sorry for the times I don't do that. I'm sorry where I fail. And I pray for all the men in this room that God would give us the grace and the mercy to have our lives transformed by the Spirit because it is only what the Spirit can do in and through us. Men, we will fail, and for some of you, you're carrying a huge weight of failure on you right now, and maybe even shame and guilt. And I want you to know, for freedom, Christ has set you free. And in Romans chapter 8, it says, For there is therefore no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Men, if you fail in this area, the Spirit of God is not condemning you right now. The Spirit of God wants to draw you closer to God's throne of grace so that you will have confidence to lead your family because of what he has done for you. Men, are we reading our Bibles? Are we men of prayer? Do we pray with our wives? Here's the deal. It could be awkward, and it is awkward sometimes. Call out the awkwardness. When you leave here and get in the car, 
grab her by the hand and say, hey, this is awkward. I know we just learned this at church, but let's pray. <laughs> Tonight, before you go to bed, I know we haven't done this before, but here we go. This isn't going to be very good. I don't know what to say. Hey, guess what? The Holy Spirit prays on your behalf. And Jesus intercedes on your behalf before the Father. Men, we can try these things and fumble through them. Call it out. Do you do devotions with your family, with your wife? That's an area I would love to grow in our marriage. In the moments where you're like, hey, I'm sitting on the couch, I'm watching the game, kids are out playing, we got really nothing else to do, this probably would be a good time to do that. This is awkward. That's, you know, it's a tie game. <laughs> you know, because that really has eternal significance. Maybe hit pause. Maybe just open up your Bible. Read it together. Before you go to bed is a great time. You're both there. It's hard to do this when they're not, but hold there. Men, do you give your wife space to get away to get time with Jesus? Um, young dads, raise your hand if you're a young dad in this room. If you have kids under the age of, say, 18. Under the age of 18. Okay. Um, your wives need to get away and get time with Jesus without kids around. So make time for that. And wives, if your husbands let you go do that, don't go to Target and make returns. <laughs> go somewhere with your Bible and your journal and read. Husbands, give your wife the space to do that. They need it. They are pouring out all day, every day. And you're consuming a lot of that, even if you don't think so. Give them time to get away. All right, husbands, you're done. You're like, okay, we're enough. All right, wives. Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Notice in verse 33 that he actually uses the word respect um, in our translations. Um, Phoebeo. Submit, respect, honor. You know, it is in the bent that God has given females to love. You nurture, you care, but it's less in your nature to respect, to honor. I don't know why God did it, but there's a reason why specifically the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write this word, to honor, to respect. And this is not slavish or coerced. It's actually a free will and a glad heart because of what Jesus has done for you. It does not say honor, respect, submit because he deserves it or because he's doing everything I just told the husbands. But it's because of what Jesus has done for you that you then honor, respect, submit. I asked my wife to write on this because I felt like from her perspective, she is so good with the words that she uses as a nurturer. So I want to read some of the things, some of the notes that she had for you. They're going to come up on the screen. 
Women, I want you to sit in this. If you want, take out your phone and take pictures of these to go home because I really do feel like this is a beautiful articulation of what this looks like. This is what she said. In a world where we empower women to take over the world, submission is becoming increasingly offensive and disgusted. But as Christian women who hold fast to God's word and his promises, we must be unapologetic and, dare I say, even joyful in submitting to our husbands. In my life, submission to my husband looks like two things, freedom and rest. I don't always view submission the way, uh, this way, and of course, there are still times my flesh wants to substitute those beautiful realities of submission with feelings of control and doubt. But I ask myself this, if I can trust Jesus for my salvation and my eternity, why can't I trust his plan when he calls me to submit to my husband? I have also come to learn that when I submit to my husband, I am not declaring that he is my perfect leader who never makes mistakes. I guarantee you, I do. That was me, not her. I am declaring that Jesus is my perfect leader who never makes mistakes. Submission to my husband is ultimately submission to my Savior. And this is obedience. This means that whatever comes from me submit uh, whatever comes from me submitting to my husband I can wholly trust the outcome. There is abundant freedom and rest that come when I live this way in my marriage. Husbands, here's a word from my wife to us. Although submission does not come naturally, I can assure you it becomes exponentially easier. Even exciting for a wife to submit to her husband when she knows he is seeking first the kingdom of God. When she sees you in his word daily and you make it a habit to talk about the goodness of God and pray with her and your children, submission not only becomes easier, it becomes a great delight. Wives, do you celebrate your husbands? If you think you do, they need five times more. (laughs) Do you treat him like one of your kids? That's a hard one. Do you uphold what he says to your kids? Do you disagree privately with honor? or publicly with shame. Husbands and wives, here, listen, uh, maybe I'm going to go off script here. Um, God, when he made Adam in the garden, said it's not good for man to be alone. So he formed woman. And there's a reason, because there was a part of us that, that even though we are fully complete in Christ, that was missing. And so he formed woman. And she sees often way more than we see. So like this, for instance, um, if I uh, go like this, right? It's a picture of one of my kids and the time and stuff. So often this is how we view life is, is I'm looking at one side and she's looking at the other. 
And so we're trying to explain something to each other, but we're not seeing eye to eye. And so we're talking, right? And I'm saying, yeah, it's got a camera and it's black. And she's going, no, it's very colorful. And there's a lot of stuff on the screen and there's a lot of details. And I'm going, uh-uh, it's plain black. And she's saying, no, there's apps and there's pictures. Why? Because she's seeing something I don't and that's how God has created her. And this kind of is how God created me. And so in marriage, there's something that God does and brings us together to, to help us see things holistically. And so when we talk about this, there are going to be times where we as husbands do something wrong and are leading our family in a wrong direction. But it's in those moments, wives, that you can honor your husband. You can disagree with them, but there's a right way to do that. So you can say, hey, can we talk? Pull them aside. Go in private. And then it's in those moments that you can share those disagreements and those things that you see that they may not be seeing. And that's not going to bring shame. That should bring delight to a husband's heart. Now, husbands, if your wife does that and brings you into a room privately and goes to share these things and you don't receive that, you're being harsh with them. God is maybe allowing them to see something you don't see. So humble yourself. And wives, I, just, I, I, I see this um, in Proverbs 2, 12, 4, where it says, An excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who shames him is rottenness in his bones. It also says it's better to live on the corner of a roof. Do you nag and boss him? Proverbs 21, 19. Better to live in a desert than with a quarrelsome and nagging wife. But there are moments, husbands, that your wife has said something 10 times and you haven't listened. Do you see how this goes? Love and respect, love and respect. When, when we begin to, men, withhold love, she begins to withhold respect. It just kind of happens. It's called a crazy cycle. And when she starts to withhold this honor and submission and respect, we begin to withhold love. We have to break that cycle, and we both need to break that cycle. That's what prayer and the Word of God does. If you're praying together more often, that cycle will be broken more often. If you're reading the Word together, it will be broken more often. If you're missing, take time together before God and His Word. That's why God has given us, so that we can delight. God has something beautiful in store for every one of the marriages in this room. And He wants to proclaim His goodness to the world through our marriages. I do want to say this. Submission does not allow abuse. Do I need to say that again? If a husband is verbally, emotionally, or physically abusing you, it is not submission for you to keep your mouth shut. Why? Because you are his helper, and it's not beneficial to him to allow that to take place. That's why God has placed elders within his church for you to come to us and say, hey, listen, I've talked to my husband. Don't, don't come to us before you talk to him. But I've talked to my husband about this, and it's getting worse and worse and worse. Can you help us? And then we as your elders come, and, and we wrap our arms around you, not taking sides, 
but wrap our arms around you to see restoration happen. Why? Because your marriage is an example of the gospel to the world around you, to your kids. And I guarantee you, in as many marriages are in this room today, there are some broken ones. And we have had many broken marriages in this room that have seen restoration in their marriages because they have submitted to the process. Because they have biblically walked through this and have humbled themselves. But submission does not allow abuse. And so, God gave this a helper. And wife, it is not being helpful. And you are not being one flesh with your husband if you're allowing that abuse to continue to take place. That's not oneness. And I know that some of you are sitting here today thinking we've got to make some big changes in our lives. But like I said before, the good news is that God loves us and he gives us a relationship with him. And as we submit ourselves to him and fall more and more in love with him, then in turn we can begin to know what it means to fall in love with one another. And God has given us the church, our community groups, our friends, our family, our deacons, our deaconesses, and our elders so that we can do this together just like it takes a tribe and a village to raise a child, it takes a church to see the marriage glorified in our world where the world around us is trying to break our marriages. And the devil is shooting flaming arrows at each and every one of us. So let's do this together and not alone. Amen? Why does this all marriage matter? Why does this all matter? Because marriage points others to Jesus. This is how we share the gospel. Can I pray over us? Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace. God, there are things that I left out. There are things maybe I fumbled when I said, please, Give me forgiveness and grace in those moments. If anybody is here today and they are struggling in any of these things, Lord, I pray you would comfort their heart right now. Help them remember they are not alone. That you are with them, that your spirit is alive. God, let us, please, allow us not to minimize the power of your spirit. You have placed your power and your presence in us and around us through the Holy Spirit so that we can see our marriages transformed. We can see our relationships transformed. So God, I pray we would fall on our knees before you. Submit ourselves to you and live out the goodness of your gospel so that we could experience the fullness of joy that you have for us. We love you. We thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.